Chapter thirty two of Barchester Towers by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nick Whitley, Purley, United Kingdom. Chapter thirty two A New Candidate for Ecclesiastical Honours. The dean's illness occasioned much mental turmoil in other places besides the deanery and adjoining library and the idea which occurred to the meagre little prebendary about mr slope did not occur to him alone the bishop was sitting listlessly in his study when the news reached him of the dean's illness it was brought to him by mr slope who of course was not the last person in barchester to hear it it was also not slow in finding its way to mrs proudie's ears it may be presumed that there was not just then much friendly intercourse between these two rival claimants for his lordship's obedience indeed though living in the same house they had not met since the stormy interview between them in the bishop's study on the preceding day on that occasion mrs proudie had been defeated that the prestige of continual victory should have been torn from her standards was a subject of great sorrow to that militant lady but though defeated she was not overcome she felt that she might yet recover her lost ground that she might yet hurl mr slope down to the dust from which she had picked him and force her sinning lord to sue for pardon in sackcloth and ashes on that memorable day memorable for his mutiny and rebellion against her high behests he had carried his way with a high hand and had really begun to think it possible that the days of his slavery were counted he had begun to hope that he was now about to enter into a free land a land delicious with milk which he himself might quaff and honey which would not tantalize him by being only honey to the eye when mrs proudie banged the door as she left his room he felt himself every inch a bishop to be sure his spirit had been a little cowed by his chaplain's subsequent lecture but on the whole he was highly pleased with himself and he flattered himself that the worst was over ce n'est que le premier pas qui coûte he reflected and now that the first step had been so magnanimously taken all the rest would follow easily he met his wife as a matter of course at dinner where little or nothing was said that could ruffle the bishop's happiness his daughters and the servants were present and protected him he made one or two trifling remarks on the subject of his projected visit to the archbishop in order to show to all concerned that he intended to have his own way the very servants perceiving the change transferred a little of their reverence from their mistress to their master all which the master perceived and so also did the mistress but mrs proudie bided her time 
after dinner he returned to his study where mr slope soon found him and there they had tea together and planned many things for some few minutes the bishop was really happy but as the clock on the chimney-piece warned him that the stilly hours of night were drawing on as he looked at his chamber candlestick and knew that he must use it his heart sank within him again he was as a ghost all whose power of wandering free through these upper regions ceases at cockcrow or rather he was the opposite of the ghost for till cockcrow he must again be a serf and would that be all could he trust himself to come down to breakfast a free man in the morning he was nearly an hour later than usual when he betook himself to his rest rest what rest however he took a couple of glasses of sherry and mounted the stairs far be it from us to follow him thither there are some things which no novelist no historian should attempt some few scenes in life's drama which even no poet should dare to paint let that which passed between dr proudie and his wife on this night be understood to be among them he came down the following morning a sad and thoughtful man he was attenuated in appearance one might almost say emaciated i doubt whether his now grizzled locks had not palpably become more grey than on the preceding evening at any rate he had aged materially years do not make a man old gradually and at an even pace look through the world and see if this is not so always except in those rare cases in which the human being lives and dies without joys and without sorrows like a vegetable a man shall be possessed of florid youthful blooming health till it matters not what age thirty forty fifty then comes some nipping frost some period of agony that robs the fibres of the body of their succulence and the hale and hearty man is counted among the old he came down and breakfasted alone mrs proudie being indisposed took her coffee in her bedroom and her daughters waited upon her there he ate his breakfast alone and then hardly knowing what he did he betook himself to his usual seat in his study he tried to solace himself with his coming visit to the archbishop that effort of his own free will at any rate remained to him as an enduring triumph but somehow now that he had achieved it he did not seem to care so much about it it was his ambition that had prompted him to take his place at the archiepiscopal table and his ambition was now quite dead within him he was thus seated when mr slope made his appearance with breathless impatience my lord the dean is dead 
good heavens exclaimed the bishop startled out of his apathy by an announcement so sad and so sudden he is either dead or now dying he has had an apoplectic fit and i am told that there is not the slightest hope indeed i do not doubt that by this time he is no more bells were rung and servants were immediately sent to inquire in the course of the morning the bishop leaning on his chaplain's arm himself called at the deanery door mrs proudie sent to miss trefoil all manner of offers of assistance the mrs proudie sent also and there was immense sympathy between the palace and the deanery the answer to all inquiries was unvaried the dean was just the same and sir omicron pie was expected down by the nine fifteen p m train and then mr slope began to meditate as others also had done as to who might possibly be the new dean and it occurred to him as it had also occurred to others that it might be possible that he should be the new dean himself and then the question as to the twelve hundred or fifteen hundred or two thousand ran in his mind as it had run through those of the other clergymen in the cathedral library whether it might be two thousand or fifteen or twelve hundred it would in any case undoubtedly be a great thing for him if he could get it the gratification to his ambition would be greater even than that of his covetousness how glorious to outtop the archdeacon in his own cathedral city to sit above prebendaries and canons and have the cathedral pulpit and all the cathedral services all together at his own disposal but it might be easier to wish for this than to obtain it mr slope however was not without some means of forwarding his views and he at any rate did not let the grass grow under his feet in the first place he thought and not vainly that he could count upon what assistance the bishop could give him he immediately changed his views with regard to his patron he made up his mind that if he became dean he would hand his lordship back again to his wife's vassalage and he thought it possible that his lordship might not be sorry to rid himself of one of his mentors mr slope had also taken some steps towards making his name known to other men in power there was a certain chief commissioner of national schools who at the present moment was presumed to stand especially high in the good graces of the government bigwigs and with him mr slope had contrived to establish a sort of epistolary intimacy he thought that he might safely apply to sir nicholas fitzwiggin 
and he felt sure that if Sir Nicholas chose to exert himself, the promise of such a piece of preferment would be had for the asking. Then he also had the press at his bidding, or flattered himself that he had so. The daily Jupiter had taken his part in a very thorough manner in those polemical contests of his with Mr. Arabin. He had on more than one occasion absolutely had an interview with a gentleman on the staff of that paper, who, if not the editor, was as good as the editor, and he had long been in the habit of writing telling letters on all manner of ecclesiastical abuses, which he signed with his initials, and sent to his editorial friend with private notes signed in his own name. Indeed, he and Mr. Towers, such was the name of the powerful gentleman of the press with whom he was connected, were generally very amiable with each other. Mr. Slope's little productions were always printed, and occasionally commented upon, and thus, in a small sort of way, he had become a literary celebrity. This public life had great charms for him, though it certainly also had its drawbacks. On one occasion, when speaking in the presence of reporters, he had failed to uphold and praise and swear by that special line of conduct which had been upheld and praised and sworn by in the Jupiter, and then he had been much surprised, and at the moment not a little irritated, to find himself lacerated most unmercifully by his old ally. He was quizzed and bespattered and made a fool of, just as though, or rather worse than, if he had been a constant enemy instead of a constant friend. He had hitherto not learnt that a man who aspires to be on the staff of the Jupiter must surrender all individuality, but ultimately this little castigation had broken no bones between him and his friend Mr. Towers. Mr. Slope was one of those who understood the world too well to show himself angry with such a potentate as the Jupiter. He had kissed the rod that scourged him, and now thought that he might fairly look for his reward. He determined that he would at once let Mr. Towers know that he was a candidate for the place which was about to become vacant. More than one piece of preferment had lately been given away, much in accordance with advice tendered to the government in the columns of the Jupiter. But it was incumbent on Mr. Slope first to secure the bishop. He especially felt that it behoved him to do this before the visit to the archbishop was made. It was really quite providential that the dean should have fallen ill just at the very nick of time. If Dr. Proudie could be instigated to take the matter up warmly, he might manage a good deal 
while staying at the archbishop's palace feeling this very strongly mr slope determined to sound the bishop that very afternoon he was to start on the following morning to london and therefore not a moment could be lost with safety he went into the bishop's study about five o'clock and found him still sitting alone it might have been supposed that he had hardly moved since the little excitement occasioned by his walk to the dean's door he still wore on his face that dull dead look of half unconscious suffering he was doing nothing reading nothing thinking of nothing but simply gazing on vacancy when mr slope for the second time that day entered his room well slope said he somewhat impatiently for to tell the truth he was not anxious just at present to have much conversation with mr slope your lordship will be sorry to hear that as yet the poor dean has shown no sign of amendment oh uh, hasn't he poor man i'm sure i'm very sorry i suppose sir omicron has not arrived yet no not till the nine fifteen p m train i wonder they didn't have a special they say dr trefoil is very rich very rich i believe said mr slope but the truth is all the doctors in london can do no good no other good than to show that every possible care has been taken poor dr trefoil is not long for this world my lord i suppose not i suppose not oh no indeed his best friends could not wish that he should outlive such a shock for his intellects cannot possibly survive it poor man poor man said the bishop it will naturally be a matter of much moment to your lordship who is to succeed him said mr slope it would be a great thing if you could secure the appointment for some person of your own way of thinking on important points the party hostile to us are very strong here in barchester much too strong yes yes if poor dr trefoil is to go it will be a great thing to get a good man in his place it will be everything to your lordship to get a man on whose cooperation you can reckon only think what trouble we might have if dr grantly or oh, dr high and dry or any of that way of thinking were to get it it is not very probable that lord Hoare will give it to any of that school why should he no not probable certainly not but it's possible great interest will probably be made if i might venture to advise your lordship 
i would suggest that you should discuss the matter with his grace next week i have no doubt that your wishes if made known and backed by his grace would be paramount with lord Hall. well i don't know that lord Hall has always been very kind to me very kind but i am unwilling to interfere in such matters unless asked and indeed if asked i don't know whom at this moment i should recommend mr slope even mr slope felt at the present rather abashed he hardly knew how to frame his little request in language sufficiently modest he had recognised and acknowledged to himself the necessity of shocking the bishop in the first instance by the temerity of his application and his difficulty was how best to remedy that by his adroitness and eloquence i doubted myself said he whether your lordship would have any one immediately in your eye and it is on this account that i venture to submit to you an idea that i have been turning over in my own mind if poor dr trefoil must go i really do not see why with your lordship's assistance i should not hold the preferment myself you exclaimed the bishop in a manner that mr slope could hardly have considered complimentary the ice was now broken and mr slope became fluent enough i have been thinking of looking for it if your lordship will press the matter on the archbishop i do not doubt but i shall succeed you see i shall be the first to move which is a great matter then i can count upon assistance from the public press my name is known i may say somewhat favourably known to that portion of the press which is now most influential with the government and i have friends also in the government but nevertheless it is to you my lord that i look for assistance it is from your hands that i would most willingly receive the benefit and which should ever be the chief consideration in such matters you must know better than any other person whatsoever what qualifications i possess and the bishop sat for a while dumbfounded mr slope dean of barchester the idea of such a transformation of character would never have occurred to his own unaided intellect at first he went on thinking why for what reasons on what account mr slope should be dean of barchester but by degrees the direction of his thoughts changed 
and he began to think why for what reason on what account mr slope should not be dean of barchester as far as he himself the bishop was concerned he could well spare the services of his chaplain that little idea of using mr slope as a counterpoise to his wife had well nigh evaporated he had all but acknowledged the futility of the scheme if indeed he could have slept in his chaplain's bedroom instead of his wife's there might have been something in it but and thus as mr slope was speaking the bishop began to recognise the idea that that gentleman might become dean of barchester without impropriety not moved indeed by mr slope's eloquence for he did not follow the tenor of his speech but led thereto by his own cogitations i need not say continued mr slope that it would be my chief desire to act in all matters connected with the cathedral as far as possible in accordance with your views i know your lordship so well and i hope you know me well enough to have the same feelings that i am satisfied that my being in that position would add materially to your own comfort and enable you to extend the sphere of your useful influence as i said before it is most desirable that there should be but one opinion among the dignitaries of the same diocese i doubt much whether i would accept such an appointment in any diocese in which i should be constrained to differ much from the bishop in this case there would be a delightful uniformity of opinion mr slope perfectly well perceived that the bishop did not follow a word that he said but nevertheless he went on talking he knew it was necessary that dr proudie should recover from his surprise and he knew also that he must give him the opportunity of appearing to have been persuaded by argument so he went on and produced a multitude of fitting reasons all tending to show that no one on earth could make so good a dean of barchester as himself that the government and the public would assuredly coincide in desiring that he mr slope should be dean of barchester but that for high considerations of ecclesiastical polity it would be especially desirable that this piece of preferment should be so bestowed through the instrumentality of the bishop of the diocese but i really don't know what i could do in the matter said the bishop if you would mention it to the archbishop if you could tell his grace that you consider such an appointment very desirable that you have it much at heart with a view to putting an end to schism in the diocese 
if you did this with your usual energy you would probably find no difficulty in inducing his grace to promise that he would mention it to lord Hoare. of course you would let the archbishop know that i am not looking for the preferment solely through his intervention that you do not exactly require him to ask it as a favour that you expect that i shall get it through other sources as is indeed the case but that you are very anxious that his grace should express his approval of such an arrangement to lord Hoare. it ended in the bishop promising to do as he was bid not that he so promised without a stipulation about that hospital he said in the middle of the conference i was never so troubled in my life which was about the truth you haven't spoken to mr harding since i saw you mr slope assured his patron that he had not ah well then i think upon the whole it will be better to let quiverful have it it has been half promised to him and he has a large family and is very poor i think on the whole it will be better to make out the nomination for mr quiverful but my lord said mr slope still thinking that he was bound to make a fight for his own view on this matter and remembering that it still behoved him to maintain his lately acquired supremacy over mrs proudie lest he should fail in his views regarding the deanery but my lord i am really much afraid remember mr slope said the bishop i can hold out no sort of hope to you in this matter of succeeding poor dr trefoil i will certainly speak to the archbishop as you wish it but i cannot think well my lord said mr slope fully understanding the bishop and in his turn interrupting him perhaps your lordship is right about mr quiverful i have no doubt i can easily arrange matters with mr harding and i will make out the nomination for your signature as you direct yes slope i think that will be best and you may be sure that any little that i can do to forward your views shall be done and so they parted mr slope had now much business on his hands he had to make his daily visit to the signora this common prudence should have now induced him to omit but he was infatuated and could not bring himself to be commonly prudent he determined therefore that he would drink tea at the stanhope's and he determined also or thought that he determined that having done so he would go thither no more he had also to arrange his matters with mrs bold he was of opinion that eleanor would grace the deanery as perfectly as she would the chaplain's cottage 
and he thought moreover that eleanor's fortune would excellently repair any dilapidations and curtailments in the dean's stipend which might have been made by that ruthless ecclesiastical permission touching mrs bold his hopes now soared high mr slope was one of that numerous multitude of swains who think that all is fair in love and he had accordingly not refrained from using the services of mrs bold's own maid from her he had learnt much of what had taken place at plumstead not exactly with truth for the own maid had not been able to divine the exact truth but with some sort of similitude to it he had been told that the archdeacon and mrs grantly and mr harding and mr arabin had all quarrelled with mrs for having received a letter from mr slope that mrs had positively refused to give the letter up that she had received from the archdeacon the option of giving up either mr slope and his letter or else the society of plumstead rectory and that mrs had declared with much indignation that she didn't care a straw for the society of plumstead rectory and that she wouldn't give up mr slope for any of them considering the source from whence this came it was not quite so untrue as might have been expected it showed pretty plainly what had been the nature of the conversation in the servants hall and coupled as it was with the certainty of eleanor's sudden return it appeared to mr slope to be so far worthy of credit as to justify him in thinking that the fair widow would in all human probability accept his offer all this work was therefore to be done it was desirable he thought that he should make his offer before it was known that mr quiverful was finally appointed to the hospital in his letter to eleanor he had plainly declared that mr harding was to have the appointment it would be very difficult to explain this away and were he to write another letter to eleanor telling the truth and throwing the blame on the bishop it would naturally injure him in her estimation he determined therefore to let that matter disclose itself as it would and to lose no time in throwing himself at her feet then he had to solicit the assistance of sir nicholas fitzwiggin and mr towers and he went directly from the bishop's presence to compose his letters to those gentlemen as mr slope was esteemed an adept at letter-writing they shall be given in full private palace barchester set one eight five dash my dear sir nicholas i hope that the intercourse which has been between us will preclude you from regarding my present application as an intrusion you cannot i imagine have yet heard that poor old dr trefoil has been seized with apoplexy it is a subject of profound grief to every one in barchester 
for he has always been an excellent man excellent as a man and as a clergyman he is however full of years and his life could not under any circumstances have been much longer spared you may probably have known him there is it appears no probable chance of his recovery sir omicron pye is i believe at present with him at any rate the medical men here have declared that one or two days more must limit the tether of his mortal coil i sincerely trust that his soul may wing its flight to that haven where it may for ever be at rest and for ever be happy the bishop has been speaking to me about the preferment and he is anxious that it should be conferred on me i confess that i can hardly venture at my age to look for such advancement but i am so far encouraged by his lordship that i believe i shall be induced to do so his lordship goes to to-morrow and is intent on mentioning the subject to the archbishop i know well how deservedly great is your weight with the present government in any matter touching church preferment you would of course be listened to now that the matter has been put into my head i am of course anxious to be successful if you can assist me by your good word you will confer on me one additional favour i had better add that lord hoare cannot as yet know of this piece of preferment having fallen in or rather of its certainty of falling for poor dear dr trefoil is past hope should lord hoare first hear it from you that might probably be thought to give you a fair claim to express your opinion of course our grand object is that we should all be of one opinion in church matters this is most desirable at barchester it is this that makes our good bishop so anxious about it you may probably think it expedient to point this out to lord hoare if it shall be in your power to oblige me by mentioning the subject to his lordship believe me my dear sir nicholas your most faithful servant obadiah slope his letter to mr towers was written in quite a different strain mr slope conceived that he completely understood the difference in character and position of the two men whom he addressed he knew that for such a man as sir nicholas fitzwiggin a little flummery was necessary and that it might be of the easy everyday description accordingly his letter to sir nicholas was written corrente calamo with very little trouble but to such a man as mr towers it was not so easy to write a letter that should be 
effective and yet not offensive but should carry its point without undue interference it was not difficult to flatter dr proudie or sir nicholas fitzwiggin but very difficult to flatter mr towers without letting the flattery declare itself this however had to be done moreover this letter must in appearance at least be written without effort and be fluent unconstrained and demonstrative of no doubt or fear on the part of the writer therefore the epistle to mr towers was studied and recopied and elaborated at the cost of so many minutes that mr slope had hardly time to dress himself and reach dr stanhope's that evening when dispatched it ran as follows private barchester sept one eight five dash he purposely omitted any allusion to the palace thinking that mr towers might not like it a great man he remembered had been once much condemned for dating a letter from windsor castle my dear sir we were all a good deal shocked here this morning by hearing that poor old dean trefoil had been stricken with apoplexy the fit took him about nine a m i am writing now to save the post and he is still alive but past all hope or possibility i believe of living the omicron pie is here or will be very shortly but all that even sir omicron can do is to ratify the sentence of his less distinguished brethren that nothing can be done poor dr trefoil's race on this side the grave is run i do not know whether you knew him he was a good quiet charitable man of the old school of course as any clergyman over seventy years of age must necessarily be but i do not write merely with the object of sending you such news as this doubtless some one of your mercuries will have seen and heard and reported so much i write as you usually do yourself rather with a view to the future than to the past rumour is already rife here as to dr trefoil's successor and among those named as possible future deans your humble servant is i believe not the least frequently spoken of in short i am looking for the preferment you may probably know that since bishop proudie came to the diocese i have exerted myself here a good deal and i may certainly say not without some success he and i are nearly always of the same opinion on points of doctrine as well as church discipline and therefore i have had as his confidential chaplain very much in my own hands but i confess to you that i have a higher ambition than to remain the chaplain of any bishop 
there are no positions in which more energy is now needed than those of our deans the whole of our enormous cathedral establishments have been allowed to go to sleep nay they are all but dead and ready for the sepulchre and yet of what prodigious moment they might be made if as was intended they were so managed as to lead the way and show an example for all our parochial clergy the bishop here is most anxious for my success indeed he goes to-morrow to press the matter on the archbishop i believe also i may count on the support of at least one most effective member of the government but i confess that the support of the jupiter if i be thought worthy of it would be more gratifying to me than any other more gratifying if by it i should be successful and more gratifying also if although so supported i should be unsuccessful the time has in fact come in which no government can venture to fill up the high places of the church in defiance of the public press the age of honourable bishops and noble deans has gone by and any clergyman however humbly born can now hope for success if his industry talent and character be sufficient to call forth the manifest opinion of the public in his favour at the present moment we all feel that any counsel given in such matters by the jupiter has the greatest weight is indeed generally followed and we feel also i am speaking of clergymen of my own age and standing that it should be so there can be no patron less interested than the jupiter and none that more thoroughly understands the wants of the people i am sure you will not suspect me of asking from you any support which the paper with which you are connected cannot conscientiously give me my object in writing is to let you know that i am a candidate for the appointment it is for you to judge whether or no you can assist my views i should not of course have written to you on such a matter had i not believed and i have had good reason so to believe that the jupiter approves of my views on ecclesiastical polity the bishop expresses a fear that i may be considered too young for such a station my age being thirty-six i cannot think that at the present day any hesitation need be felt on such a point the public has lost its love for antiquated servants if a man will ever be fit to do good work he will be fit at thirty-six years of age believe me very faithfully yours obadiah slope t towers esq dash court middle temple Having thus exerted himself, Mr. Slope posted his letters, 
and passed the remainder of the evening at the feet of his mistress. Mr. Slope will be accused of deceit in his mode of canvassing. It will be said that he lied in the application he made to each of his three patrons. I believe it must be owned that he did so. He could not hesitate on account of his youth, and yet be quite assured that he was not too young. He could not count chiefly on the bishop's support, and chiefly also on that of the newspaper. He did not think that the bishop was going to to press the matter on the archbishop. It must be owned that in his canvassing Mr. Slope was as false as he well could be. Let it, however, be asked of those who are conversant with such matters, whether he was more false than men usually are on such occasions. We English gentlemen hate the name of a lie, but how often do we find public men who believe each other's words? End of chapter 32 Recording by Nick Whitley, Purley, United Kingdom